and talk and talk and talk Would you listen to me? Interviewer to interviewee Jew and the Gentile to the brave and the free And everyone else In the unorthodoxy Hello, Boston. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. This week we are live at Hebrew College in Newton, just outside the great city of Boston. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by senior writer Liel Leibowitz. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. And by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Wow. I I think I think I got more applause than both of you guys. Just saying. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. You're welcome. And, and today uh, we welcome two guest Jews. The first is NPR's Jeremy Hobson. <laughs> and the other one is the Boston Globe columnist Jeff Jacoby. I'd like to say they, they are both looking immensely uncomfortable that they've been identified as the guest Jews. I just I, I think, think they're not used to, they didn't know what they signed up for. And our Gentile of the week, and this is very Gentilic, is retired General Tom Hill. Well, I'll say, you know, Jeff wears a yarmulke. He's identified as a guest Jew pretty much wherever he goes, <laughs> so he's good. Except we're in Newton, where actually they identify guest Gentiles. So, yeah, I'm just... And tonight we also have in the house some songs from our Jubador, Jim Nabel. So I just want to say, before we get to News of the Jews, I have to say, you know, it's, it's, it's a little known fact. I don't know that it's come up so much on, on, on Orthodox that I'm actually from, I'm a native son of Massachusetts, but I'm from Sp- Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, yes, there we go. <laughs> you have, you have they're mentioned actually, that. They're actually, they're actually two Springfielders in the house. And maybe, no, three, four, who's from Springfield? Oh my wow. God, we've got almost a minion of Springfielders. This is Boston to me. I just want to say, first of all, I love you all. To me, when I was growing up, Boston meant Channel 56 and Channel 38, which were the stations that if my parents had gotten cable TV, I would have been able to watch the good reruns on when I was homesick from school. But they didn't get cable TV because they were anti-TV hippies of a certain era. And so 38 and 56 were like these fantasy channels because they were in the newspaper TV listings, but I couldn't access them for, for the best Brady Bunch and Green Acres reruns. Okay, what is cable TV? <laughs> I thought you were going to ask, what is TV? <laughs> is that like Netflix? Yeah. It's, it's a thing. <laughs> so anyway, so it's good to be here in the land of 38 and 56. Um, how was your week? My week was good. I'm happy to be here. My Aunt Stacy's here. Aunt Stacy. Big round of applause. Um, I have to say, though, my favorite person in the audience is the fellow cat enthusiast in row three. How, oh, she she's wearing awesome. her cat ears. She's wearing cat ears. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I'm with my, like, I'm with my people here. Do you think that's the Stephanie thing is, like, people are going to show up those. at our shows with cat ears? Oh, that's I how you signal so. your team, Stephanie? <laughs> yes. What do yeah. you signal to, that your team, Liel? AK-47. Booze? Booze? <laughs> Alcohol, firearms, tobacco. Take your pick. How was your Simchat Torah, Liel? 
My Simchator was very nice. Uh, my children were absolutely freaked out by 700 strangers going like, come, candy and music. They're like, no, 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 get, get me out of here. Do you do it on the West Side Highway? Or do you do it at Shul? Where do you uh, we did it at Shul. You did it at Shul? Yeah. yeah. The, lovely, shul, the lovely Presbyterian Church. Your Shul whose website has all the Gentiles testifying, oh, it's the only Shul they've ever loved. That's true. There were like four, four Jews in the audience celebrating with us nice. on Simcha's tour. It was great. Nice. Did you go to Simcha's? Did you... Did, with the Cohen family? Are you, no. Stephanie's merging families, you know, in her season of engagement, so. I am. Um, no, I, no. No, you I did just, no simple. No, I did, I did like a me day. <laughs> so I went. Shmini at Sarah, it's your me Shmi, day. Shmini, <laughs> it's all about you. Yeah. I went, I went to my first ever Simcha Torah. I took Rebecca. She brought a little young adult novel and read it the whole time and looked at people like, why are they dancing? It was, so next, next year, the Oppenheimers are going to really, Judgy. really do it up. So listen, a little news of the Jews. It has been a big week in news of the Jews. Just today, I check the interwebs. I discover, so this is, my favorite Jewish politician is actually a Mormon. I'm weirdly obsessed with, with Utah Congressman Jason Chafetz. Maybe he said, <laughs> I think he says, does he say Chafetz? Do, what does he say? Chafetz? He says Chafetz, right? So this is the guy, I just got to tell you. So the news today was that he's endorsing Trump, but not voting for, no, he's voting Trump, but not endorsing Trump, which is the, you know, that's the most like schwach of all positions. It is so lame. But here's the thing about, about Chafetz. His father was a Jew. His father was a Jew who was once married to Kitty Dukakis, thus making it a Massachusetts story. He went to BYU as the place kicker on their football team where he chaired Dukakis for president in 88. But later, before graduating, he converted to Mormonism, and then he graduated to a job as a spokesman for New Skin, that's N-U, which is an Amway-style direct marketing firm that sells cosmetics and sponsors the Utah Jazz cheerleaders. After 10 years of pimping for New Skin, he ran for Congress where he became a right-wing doofus. So I just, I love this guy beyond belief, um, and we've tried to get him on our show, but we've always He's failed. like, I won't come on your show, but I'll call in. <laughs> Uh, also in Trump news, um, at a rally on Saturday, BuzzFeed's Rosie Gray reported that one Trumpkin shouted Lügenpresse at people in the media, which is German for the lying press, and was used by the Nazis to discredit the Jew media. That's like the longest word that's been uttered at a Trump rally. So it's like actually a big word. It's very sophisticated. It's another language. Also in Trump news, it's good. what will we do when we don't have an election anymore? Um, Looney Tunes radio host Alex Jones, conspiracy theorist and friend of Trump, went on a Tuesday night rant, as distinguished from his Monday night rant and his Wednesday night rant. But the Tuesday night rant, he blamed America's ills on, quote, the Jewish mafia. Now, I don't know if he's, has he gone anti-Semitic before? Is this like new for Alex Jones? He said in this rant, quote, they run Uber, they run the healthcare, they're going to scam you, they're going to hurt you. I also like that he said like Madeline, Madeline Albright was part of this Jewish mafia. And I was like, keep her out of this. Like, what did she, she do to you? She didn't even know she was Jewish until she, she like, was just like found out. 85 years old. And somehow she's part of the conspiracy. <laughs> That's how you get them. You like they don't know they're Jewish. And <laughs> the conspiracy they've been doing is the actually, work the whole time. It's actually people who didn't even know they were Jewish growing up. It's John Kerry, Madeleine Albright, the president of Princeton. Who am I missing? Who? Amari? Well, okay. Let me just say about Amari Stoudemire. We got more mail yeah. last week from people who were angry that we acceded to his alleged plot to pass himself off as a Jew. The, the mail was from people who said he's not Jewish. He thinks maybe he's a black Israelite, but even that's unclear. Basically, like... He's got work to do before we accept him as a Jew. Like, but, but that his, he identifies as a, a black Israelite, not as like a mainstream. Like he basically, they were saying that we like 
overlook the fact that he actually doesn't even, he's not even saying that he's uh, like, I guess mainstream the way we would consider it. He's, he identifies with this other strain. Um, I actually don't think it matters. I'm, I stand by my point that Amari is a better Jew than all of us because he moved to Israel. Yep. He didn't have to. No one was making him go there. He like is, was best friends with Shimon Perez. Bought a, bought a basketball team there. Like, what have you guys done? Yeah. I didn't even do anything for Simcha Torah. Totally. You know who is... Like, he's, he wins. I don't care. <laughs> and you know who, total, who he's totally a better Jew than is Kurt Schilling, who... <laughs> Who tweeted at Jake Tapper? No, he didn't tweet he, at me. He was on the air. He was on he the air with Jake Tapper with Jew. <laughs> it's like it's like tweeting, but in real life. Right. <laughs> it's called a conversation. <laughs> I thought they. That's that is by the way CNN's official tagline for the 2016 elections. It's like tweets, tweets out loud in real life. In real life. So we actually said uh, punam to punam with Jake Tapper of Lower Marion, Pennsylvania. How can Jews possibly be Democrats? Because the Democrats hate their real country, Israel. At which point, I mean, I, you know, is Kurt Schilling, here we are in Boston, are you guys going to make him your senator? Is that what's going to happen? Look, in 2024, uh, under the Big Poppy administration, <laughs> Kurt Schilling might be an ambassador somewhere. <laughs> he might actually be like the ambassador to Israel, which would be awkward. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we have a couple upcoming live shows. Uh, November 17th, we'll be at Beth Zedek in Toronto. And February 10th, we'll be at Temple Israel in West Palm Beach because we do like going to West Palm in February. Uh, if you would like to bring us in for a live show and you think that maybe you can afford us, email Alyssa Goldstein at egoldstein at tabletmag.com. Um, Stephanie, how can people get the newsletter and how can they get the print the print ish? What do we call it? Edition. Edition. Issue. Edition. Issue, yeah. Issue, yeah, yeah. Print, the print magazine. Yeah, the, mag the magazine. It's like, it's like an internet magazine, but like yeah, exactly. you hold <laughs> it in your hands. <laughs> we took the internet, Mark. Actually, when we, we were starting paper, the magazine last year, I was talking to my mom about it. I was like, you know, people just like really want, you know, we've been online, but people like are really excited about just holding things in their hands and really like looking through them. And she looks at me and she's like, I know what magazines are. <laughs> she's like, you're not like inventing that concept. Like, yeah. Whoa, it's like an iPad only with a limited number of like screens on it. Okay, so you That's can great. get you can subscribe to the print magazine by texting tablet to the number six six eight six six. You can literally do it right now. Um, or and if you want to get our newsletter, um, which I write, which is like pretty funny. Um, usually there's a there's a picture of Mark's hand, Mark in the hospital in this morning's. Um, you can send an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and just ask to be added to the list. And if and we'll you do, you. you will get an exclusive mini episode. Uh, that I'm going to record next Sunday as I attempt to run the New York City Marathon. Uh, so you will hear, uh, you will hear a man d dying on the air. How are you going <laughs> to? It's funny. the first time it's happened on a podcast. And so, what do you like? No. Every mile you're going to? I think he's going to just have it recording the whole time. Uh, pretty much, it's going to be like, "Hey guys, I'm feeling great. I'm on the Farzana Bridge. Weather is so great. There are 50,000 people." And it's like, "Can't breathe. I'm." <laughs> 40, get me out. It's going to be a lot of that. How far have you run in your training? What's your longest run so far? Uh, it's, it's slightly under 20. This is amazing. Yeah. And you were a 0.5 Liel of like eight months ago. You know, I'm, I'm a nimbler. You're, you're, you're a nimbler, lither, Liel. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, before we bring up our Jew of the Week, Jeremy Hobson, we'd like to invite the Jubador, Jim Nabel, back for another song. Use the shaker. How's your rhythm? Oh, not good. Anyone have good rhythm? Feel pretty confident about it. <laughs> okay, welcome to the band. Welcome to the Jupiter band. Sorry, Last time I had an accordion player. Anybody have an accordion? Can 
have everything. All right. I had a little white book when I was young Told the story of a people whose time had come They wandered the earth just to see where they were coming from They were chosen long ago to be persecuted To be ill-reputed and to be excluded Then the sea opened up and they walked right through it to freedom I had a little white book when I was young Told the story of a people whose time had come Wanted the earth just to say where they were coming from Where they roamed and they roamed and they never looked back They were on their own, they were under attack When I think of myself like that, I think that I need them Need them for the blood on the door Need them for the mud on the floor Need them, and if you don't know it, boy It's so that I can't say I'm one to hope Yeah, yeah This is a public service announcement to our Gentile, Tom Hill, that by the end of the night, you'll be Jewish. We just thought you should know, so. It's that easy. It's that easy. We, we, we can, circumcision and. Just a ritual bloodletting. We actually have a, where's Dr. Bob the Moyle? Yeah, we have a Moyle in the house. <laughs> he's actually one of our top 10 letter writers. We get a letter from Bob the Moyle about every third week. And he's, he's actually several of our top letter writers are here. We're actually, Boston's our biggest, our second biggest city after New York. Uh, just so, as we yeah. travel. Just as we travel with the Jubador, we should always travel with the Moyle, just in case. Just someone, in case someone has just the, it's like, the urge. It's like the know? way Christians just travel with a little water, just in case you need it. <laughs> we just here. travel with the Moyle. So our Jew of the week, our first Jew of the week today, in the first week we've ever had two Jews of the week. Our first Jew of the week is Jeremy Hobson, the co-host of the NPR show Here and Now. Jeremy's radio career began at the age of nine when he started contributing to a program called Treehouse Radio, at least according to his mom. He's a graduate of Boston University, and he used to host Marketplace Morning Report. He got promoted from Gentile of the Week when he confessed that he's half Jewish. Jeremy, come on up. <laughs> yeah, pull that mic close. I'm used to that. You know that, right? <laughs> one thing Make love to that mic. So before we get it, before we get into into you know politics and religion and the election cycle, I just have to ask. So you started at age, according to your bio on your website, you started at age nine with Treehouse Radio. Is this a real thing? And what did you do for Treehouse Radio? So Treehouse Radio was a show in my hometown in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, and the woman who produced it came into my school in when I was in third grade and asked us to write radio dramas, and she liked mine, and so I did it on the show, and then they had me come in and host. And it was, it was like a 30-minute show. I interviewed Dave Barry when I was nine, and then again a few years ago, and <laughs> played the tape of the interview from when I was nine, in which I said, by the way, um, what do you, I said at a, in a much higher voice, what do you think of the Clinton administration? <laughs> I don't think I knew what that meant, but that was what I asked him. My co-host, by the way, her big interview was Hillary Clinton. And this was in 1992, probably, 1991. It should have been me, really. <laughs> 
Okay, could you explain this election season to us, please? Um, I'm first of all, I will say I am so glad that it is almost over, which is weird because, yeah. <laughs> I'm a I'm a huge political junkie. I'm the kind of person that like watched every single one of the primary debates going all the way back. I love reading about this stuff. I've done a million interviews about it. But I feel like at this point, it's just like, okay, let's just get this over with already. But um, it's been a, it's been very interesting to talk to people in different places and at different points along the way who support Donald Trump. And there are three people that sort of stick in my mind that I remember. I was in South Carolina right before the South Carolina primary, went to a Trump rally, and there was a guy who was probably my age who came to this, and it was in this town called Walterboro, which is about an hour outside of Charleston. And he said, well, I said, why are you for Trump? And he said, well, I'm... um, you know, this is a very, this town has been kind of devastated and the movie theater and the bowling alley closed down. And I think if Trump gets elected, that he would put up the money to reopen the movie theater and the bowling alley. So that, that was one that stuck in my mind. There was another guy I met in, in Oregon who voted for Obama twice and was volunteering for Trump. And his reason was foreign policy. He thought that Obama was super weak on foreign policy. And the third guy was like a retired computer repairman who was volunteering for Trump. And he's, I said, why? And he, he said, well, I don't know. I said, are there issues that you like that he's talking about? He said, you know, I watched him on The Apprentice and it's not really, has nothing to do with the issues. I just trust his character so much that I'm for him. So we're here on the campus of a, of a you know, we're on a large campus that has a bunch of religious seminaries on them. We're actually in the, the Jewish institution, but we're, we're right near uh, some buildings that have uh, more Christian identities, more interreligious identities. Um, it seems to me that you can't detect anything from people's religion anymore about how they're going to vote. Like you would have thought before this election, evangelicals would never go for someone like Trump. And yet here they are. Well, there's been a split with the evangelicals, which is interesting because we interviewed the head of the Southern Baptist Convention, who is very much against Trump and has been all the way along. But then you've got Tony Perkins and other sort of evangelical leaders that are for him, no matter what, including the things that you would think nobody would be more offended by that tape than the evangelicals. And yet they were some of the first people to come out and say, no, it's not about that. It's about his position on life or whatever it might be. So does that make you skeptical that there actually is any religious like underpinning at all? I mean, do you think they're just tacking? I mean, do, do you end up cynical when you deal with religious people? I no. I, I mean, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're doing things for the right reasons. I, some people probably are not, but I also, you know, I'm not evangelical. I didn't grow up in a very religious way. And so I don't want to say that, you know, a, a huge portion of America is not really religious. They're just, I mean, I think that this does get to one point, which is I think a lot of people look at um, Trump supporters in particular or Hillary Clinton supporters for that matter and say, they're only doing that because of this bad reason. They're racist. They hate immigrants or whatever the case may be. And I think that most people when they vote are doing it because they think it will make the country better. 
and make their own lives better. Or because they watch The Apprentice. Or because they love The Apprentice. <laughs> He's not even the person from The Apprentice I would vote for for president. Bill Rancic. You know? Bill and Juliana. In the no, they're like, like Meatloaf. I'd much rather have President Meatloaf. Which would be so much fun. You mean the singer? Think you mean the it. singer or the President meal? Meatloaf. Either way, either the meal, the singer. The... So I know a lot of like weekly radio shows or weekly podcasts have trouble keeping up with the news. I mean, they'll like I listened to one episode of um, Keeping It Sixteen Hundred, and the tape that the, the um, Billy Bush tape came out as they were recording it, and they like didn't get to address it the next week. Do you feel like a daily show is? better for that or is just news moving so fast that so we put our show on the air from 12 to 2 eastern time and then um we we roll it over is the term in public radio and repeat it from two to four and we have to update it if something happens during that time at four o'clock it's all things considered problem and we don't have so we love it when <laughs> news breaks at 405 but um what's been happening most recently is that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton love to give speeches at two o'clock. And then they'll, and, and I think in past campaigns, you would never have a situation where they said something so dramatically different from what they had said before that you'd have to update it. But Trump has done it again and again and again in a way that we're like, well, we couldn't have really, we can't really rerun that conversation because we probably would have asked about him calling Hillary Clinton the devil in it. So, so it's making your job like considerably harder. Um, I don't know about considerably harder. You know, I have to say the, the one of the hardest things in the last, and it's happened in the last year while the election has been going on, is these, these attacks. Those are really hard. Those are really hard to cover. Orlando, Paris, things like that. You know, these like terrible events that have happened over the last year, they, it's a lot to consume while you're also trying to consume this election, which has gotten so negative that I feel like, you know, we've just did a, done a story about how anxious everybody is right now, which I think it all feeds into this. Yeah, I can't sleep. Yeah. I really like fall asleep thinking about or try to fall asleep thinking about the polls. And I wake up at two in the morning and I wonder if like Nate Silver or Nate Cohn or <laughs> any of the Jewish guys who do all of our stats uh, have changed their predictions that Hillary's you know, going to be president. For a second there, I thought you said polls, as in Polish people, which would be like the most Jewish thing ever. <laughs> I, I think there are polls? polls knocking at the door. Which, you know, probably our ancestors. I think it's, I think it's true. My, my friend went to the stomach doctor because she had been having, like, intense stomach pain. And he, she was like, I have an ulcer. I'm dying. What is it? And he said to her, like, have you been really stressed lately? And she's like, yes, the election. And he basically was like, I think that's what's happening. Yeah. And, and the, the thing that has gotten to me is um, this, the stuff that's been said about women and the disabled and immigrants. And I just think of like little kids growing up in those situations and hearing that and how difficult that is. And I, I just, you know, politics aside, can we just agree that you don't make fun of the disabled? Just, it's just not, it's not decent. So let me ask you this. Are you, are you close or have you ever felt close to having a sort of Howard Beale moment of just taking the microphone on the air and being like, I am just so freaking pissed off right now enough with this bullshit like have you ever really lost your cool because i imagine no. daily i do this weekly and i feel unhinged like you do this daily that's why he's at npr liel and you're at tablet <laughs> so it's a very true no be i would be the absolute worst NPR. oh my god 
I think imagine. that doing that would ruin my credibility forever, and I feel like there are probably going to be some more stories that I want to cover after this election is over. Yeah, but hold on. But this, I, and this I do mean seriously, because this whole credibility thing, I, I think, in a weird way, may be part of the problem, right? Because you see something which is a blatant human being, like just what you just said, like this is a morally reprehensible thing that a person who said this should not be even like anywhere, not even on Pennsylvania Avenue. Forget about that specific house. And yet, you know, here you are sitting and, and speaking. And do you ever just like think about well, that? Well, I, I think we have, you know, a lot of journalists have gone further, including us, in calling people out when they're saying things that are not true. I remember the day that the birther announcement was made from Donald Trump when he backed away from it. And he's, his line was something like, um, Hillary Clinton started this and I finished it. And we came right out of the tape at the top of the show and said, just to be clear, Hillary Clinton didn't start it and he didn't finish it. So let's just clear that up out of the way. Um, Do you know anyone at NPR who you think is voting for Trump? I don't know. People, people haven't talked about who they're voting for. You guys I'm never sure talk that... about who you're voting for. Um, Terry Gross no. is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Terry Gross is a huge Trump supporter. <laughs> Believe me. Huge. You just saved him. You just totally stuck, stuck in and saved him. So, okay, so two final questions, Jeremy. First of all, um, you once did a piece on selfie sticks. Do you remember that piece? Yeah. One of my favorite radio pieces ever. How are you feeling about it? The selfie sticks seem to have passed. Yes. Do you feel like God. you helped bring about the end with that piece on selfie sticks? I you hope weren't so. hiding. you weren't hiding your enmity, your contempt in that piece. Or you weren't hiding it I, well. I had just gotten back from Paris where selfie sticks were everywhere, much more so than in this country. Everywhere around the Eiffel Tower, people had their selfie sticks. And I just... What is the reason that you need this thing? If you want to have somebody take a picture, just ask them. Anyone will do that for you. But that would require like talking to a stranger. I guess. That's what it <laughs> we is don't about do that us anymore. just becoming more and more antisocial. Yeah. Okay. And final question. I realize you're in Boston and a lot of the NPR people are else. Kelly McEvers is in Culver City and Robert Siegel's in Washington. But when you guys get together in Las Vegas for the big convention, who ends up <laughs> Probably real- more like Portland, Oregon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who ends up at one in the morning with a lampshade on his or her head, <laughs> totally bombed out of his or her skull, like the life of the party? Who Once is again, it? Terry Gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doing blow in the bathroom. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Uh, you know who's a lot of fun is Scott Simon. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Scott's Scott right. Simon is the one who's dancing on tables at two No, he's very sort of distinguished, but he is a lot of... He, he's, he would be the one telling jokes and singing songs and... That kind of thing. All right. It's not as crazy of a crowd as you think it is. <laughs> I think it's exactly as crazy a crowd as I think it is. All right, everyone. Thanks, Jeremy Hobson. Thank you. Here. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated best play. 
Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. All right. <clears throat> Our Gentile of the Week is retired General Tom Hill. James T. Call Me Tom Hill, retired from the United States Army after 36 years of active service, a highly decorated combat infantryman and soldier diplomat. He served in Vietnam as a platoon leader and infantry rifle company commander. During Desert Shield, Desert Storm, he commanded the 1st Brigade, 101st Airborne, raising the question, are there 101 Airbornes? His last assignment was at the United States Southern Command in Central and South America and the Caribbean. He is now the president of the JT Hill Group, a consulting group focused on strategic leadership, and he is our Gentile of the Week. Yes. General. Yeah. Sir? So, this is my first time on stage with two veterans. Yeah, I love how you call him General, but you don't call me Sergeant. Were you Sergeant? I mean, were you a Sergeant? respect, of course. I had no idea. Wait, do, does everyone graduate with Sergeant? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only the lucky. Um, so, General, welcome. Thank you. For, you. Have you ever been a Gentile of the Week before? Never. Never? I mean, you think about the title. I mean, in fact, I texted one of my best friends in El Paso, Texas, and I said, I'm the Gentile of the Week today. He's a very Jewish guy. And I said, I'm the Gentile of the Week, so I feel like I'm being honored here. You, you are. Absolutely. Now, when you say he's a very Jewish guy, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Would you uh, say some of your best friends? Yeah, no, 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 I'm not going there. No, no, I, uh, uh, he was my best friend in high school. I grew, he was my, and his parents were like my second parents. So I grew up with them. Where'd you grow up? El Paso, In El Texas, Paso. Uh -huh. um, so we tend to think of the military as a very religious institute. We tend to think that, like, Air For the Air Force Academy apparently is, is just a big evangelical Bible seminary at this point. I mean, they, they say that it's just so infused with the culture at this point. And then you also get the people, you know, who have the old cliche, there are no atheists in the foxhole, and, you know, that basically something about putting your life on the line makes you more religious. Um, is there any truth to that? I mean, is there, is there a kind of synergy between military service and religiosity, or is that just what us secular non-veterans What have you secular non-veterans think about it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't characterize it that way. Can you Not educate us a little I'm bit? I'm sorry? Like, can you educate us in, what, in nuance in this area? Because we clearly have none. <laughs> uh, I, Speak I'll, for yourself. I'll, 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 do, I'll do some myths. Culturally, we don't. I'll do some myths. Uh, the, ad, the, um, the idea that the U.S. military is all Republican is a big myth. The idea that they're all neocons is a big myth. And in my generation, we never even discussed politics. I never registered as anything until I retired. Uh, we never discussed politics at cocktail parties. They do today, uh, which I think is not very good for the military. What changed? Um, I don't know. I really can't answer that question. We, did, we have become more conservative, but I don't think we're all conservative. I'm certainly not conservative by any stretch of the imagination. But we have become more uh, talkative about it, for lack of a better term. But that, that I, I want to get back to, to, to this adage that Mark mentioned about there being no atheists in the foxholes. You've, you've, you've seen your share 
of trouble, shall I say, uh, you know, in the battlefield. And did you not find, or do you not find now reflecting on it, that there are moments in which meaning, not necessarily in a, in a sort of hardcore religious way, but you kind of look at life in a very different way once you've been shot at, wounded, lost friends? No, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. <clears throat> but I don't, I don't buy into the no foxhole, no atheist in a foxhole. But I would buy into that uh, in a combat situation, you are changed forever by that experience. And so does it, does it sort of affect, once you get back home, the worldview, the way you see society, the way you see other people? Does it, does it trickle down into other parts of life? Well, that's an interesting question. I'll put it this way. As in today's all-volunteer force, as more and more as the force gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and less than 1%, in fact, less than half of 1% of all Americans serve in the military. If you take a hard look at the statistics, about 70% of all enlistees in the military come from military families. My huge concern for the country is that we are, in fact, developing and creating a class unto ourselves. My biggest concern is as we develop and become a class unto ourselves, and we develop and, and live with our values, I fear that we will look at our values as better than your values, than the society to which we serve. That will not serve the American people very well, in my opinion. And it's something we really need to have a long talk about and a discussion about. How did you get in, in, into this life? Did you come from a military family? Or no, was it just no, I, I went into the Army. Um, I had a wonderful, my father was a uh, Air Force reservist, called up for Korea, was killed in a plane crash as a pilot. Uh, I, as a result of that, long story short, I got an appointment at the Naval and the Air Force Academy. Uh, and at the last second, I said, I'm not doing this. Best decision I ever made. I didn't have the math skills. It was all engineering back then. I would have flunked out. I'd been a private, not a general. Uh, so I said to my stepdad, this wonderful human being, uh, I said, I don't think I'm going to go to the academy. He says, where are you going to go to college? And I said, well, I'll just stay here in El Paso. And he said, no, you won't. Growing up is going away. And in September, you can be in a college outside of El Paso, which I'll pay for, or you can be in an apartment anywhere you want to be, but you'll not be in this house. And so I went off to Trinity University in San Antonio, sight unseen, had compulsory Army ROTC, first two years. So now it's 1966, middle of the Vietnam War. I said, oh. Maybe I'd like to stay in as an officer. So I did. and went off to Vietnam and found out two things about myself in the jungles of Vietnam. I found out that I loved what I was doing. I loved the camaraderie. I loved the challenge. I loved the ability to lead people in incredibly difficult situations. And I was pretty good at it. And so I decided to stay. And here I am. Do you feel that there's the military class that you sort of mentioned, is it more isolated in addition to sort of having its own values. Do you worry oh, about that is. as well? I think it is. I think we were becoming more and more isolated from the society to which we serve, and that's not good. Uh, as there are few and fewer bases, um, few and fewer uh, uh, chances of interaction with the, Amer with the American people, uh, it's one thing for you to pass us in an airport and say thanks for your service. It's another thing for you to know somebody. And, and the, the goodness, the, the thing that I think is the best thing about it at this point is the guard and the reserve, because people do have interaction with guardsmen and reservists, but you don't have real interaction with active duty people. You know, but on, on the flip side of this, so I come from Israel, Saudi, wherever you once served, so the, the, the 
experiences are familiar. At the same time though, don't you ever find when people are sometimes having conversations and they say things like, oh, we ought to go there and kick their ass. We need to do this, we need to do that. Don't you ever think to yourself like, buddy, let me tell you what that entails because I actually know. Like, how, how do you bridge that gap? All the time, all the time. To, to build better policy. All the time. Worst phrase that we use in any of our political discussions is boots on the ground. Those are not boots on the ground, that's a human being. And that human being that you've sent there, for whatever reason you've sent him there, him or her there, is killing another human being. And if we ever get to the point that we don't understand that war is about human beings, good and bad, and we dehumanize that, then bad things will happen, not can happen. So do we need, whenever we fight wars, do we need a, a draft? Oh, we do not need a draft. Well, should, the volunteer army is a good idea? The volunteer army is an excellent idea. You do not need, I can't think of anybody of my ilk who would tell you that you need a draft. To begin with, if you're going to have this little bitty force, who are you drafting? You're drafting just minuscule numbers of people. And you better be, if you're going to have a small force, you better have people who want to do it and then who are doing it in a professional way as opposed to draft. When you go to, to, to war, when you're forced to take that step, what, uh, especially as a, as a high-ranking commanding officer, what, what effort do you make uh, to sort of understand these other human beings better? Because killing them or fighting them or containing them or helping them, I mean, that's, that's one part of it. Uh, you're in Desert Storm, for example. What do, what do you do? Do you sit there in your tent and sort of read? What I did in Desert Storm, as a great example, I was a full colonel. I had an uh, infantry brigade, an air assault brigade with helicopters. And um, I studied, I'm a voracious reader. I read two, three books a week. I'm always doing that, always done it. And I read a whole lot about uh, Islam. I tried to understand the people that, in the culture that I was around. I read the Koran. I mean, there's a lot of really good things about, about uh, Islam, for example. I, wished, I wish I could understand, and I wish I could carry enough quarters in my pockets so that every time I saw somebody was begging, I could stick them, give them a quarter. That's part of Islam. That's a good thing. Um, so you want to, that's how I tried to do it. And I tried to understand it, that people are people, and, um, I don't like to hate people. Were you ever tempted by religion at all? I grew up uh, Episcopal, uh, but I mentioned that I had uh, this family that I was very close to, uh, Orthodox, not Orthodox, were conservative Jews that come from Poland um, after the war. And um, I uh, contemplated, really seriously thought about converting when I was in high school. We could, we could do that, right? Mm, it's not going <laughs> to be sure. Okay. Yeah. It's all past tense now, trust me. <laughs> so we have Sonny's back to watch football. Exactly. A lot of <laughs> we think that sending Jason Chaffetz to the Mormons and bringing you into the Jews is actually a good Christian It should be like Jewish. a draft, right? A good, a good swap. That would be uh, a good swap, wouldn't it? General Tom Hill, thank you so much.
Hey, J. Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Now, those of you who are longtime listeners know that never before in the history of our show have we had a second Jew of the week. But the, the, the quality of the Jews in the greater Boston area, <laughs> there are so many quality Jews. The boots on the ground are so... Too soon. Too soon? Yeah. Too soon. Sorry. <laughs> so for the first time ever, we have a second Jew of the week. And what a Jew it is. And what a Jew it is. The Yarmulkeed Boston Globe columnist, Jeff Jacoby. He's a native of Cleveland, Ohio, a native of World Series competitor Cleveland, Ohio. He uh, is a graduate of George Washington University and the law school at BU. He has been an op-ed columnist for the Boston Globe since February 1994. And we welcome him as Jew of the Week. Duh. Yes. Hello, hello. Now, so, okay, so is the yarmulke on because you're on the campus of Hebrew College, or are you a regular hat? I wear wearer? it everywhere but at work. You don't wear I it don't to wear the globe? I wear my at work. I wear it pretty much everywhere else. Why? Uh, it's, well, why? Why don't you wear it at work? That? Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't quite have a good answer to, except that when I first began working in a professional job, uh, which was in a law firm, it was sort of made understood to me that that would be inappropriate that for whatever reason that became the that became the minhag that became the custom so when you leave work, say, by the way they told you in the law firm like the minhag here we don't wear <laughs> <Yeah>. our <laughs> exactly <laughs> so when you leave work do you put it on or yeah. is it like you'll get to your car and or like is oh, it in your uh, pocket and then you put it like are you yeah, ever walking out the with car, colleagues the pocket. what about if you're like playing tennis <laughs> that hasn't happened since i was about 12 years old so not I love really how initial. Mark, you know, this, this, this explains to you uh, as if you needed more explanation, the, the, the liberal elite media. I'm, I'm trying to understand how he's so fascinated by there's a person who what, wears a yarmulke. What I'm trying to understand is, is how he, he sits here and he refers to something as being really schwach. I forget what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but he never celebrated Simcha's Torah. You've got to explain that I, to me. You know, I, you, you get your little bits where you can't. He's Look, like a little waspy. I think it's all the New England. Very little. Yeah. There he's were exactly trying. two Jews at my high school. The other one's here tonight. 
And, it, you know, it was, I didn't learn any of this stuff. We had to meet in secret <laughs> in an attic. And, you know, you pick up what you can along the way. But, uh, so I've been picking things up just sitting and listening to the, to the show up until <laughs> yeah. now. Um, uh, no Jewish pirate, you said, which, and Simchas Torah. So to put those two together, do you think I can put those two together? The rabbi of my shul, which is the young Israel of Brookline for, for local listeners, Tap it applause. <laughs> came to Shul on Simcha's Torah night with his three or four year old boy who was wearing a pirate costume. And to those of us who said, but you don't wear costumes on Simcha's Torah, that's for Purim, he said, yes, but try explaining that to my kid who insisted tonight he was going to Shul in the pirate costume and nothing we could say dissuaded him. So there maybe will be the first. Isn't that the definition of modern orthodoxy is that you're in Shul but in baseball gear? Something like that's that. <laughs> Your yarmulke is like a Cubs or, or Indian. No, right? no, 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 no. I'm, I'm a conservative. Listen, I'm a conservative in, 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 in most ways. And I, I, you know, for me, solid black, plain, monochromatic. Got it. No, no sports logos. So what's it like being a conservative in election year 2016? How's this been for you? Oh, this is horrible. You want a serious answer or yes, you, want a, yes. you want a funny? Uh, the, the, the serious answer is that it really is horrible. I, I am... Um, I've, I've considered myself a, an ideological principled conservative for all of my you know, grown life. Um, and I think that what is being done to, not to be too trivial about it, but to the conservative brand is really bad, really unhealthy. Um, and it's not even a question of Republican or Democrat. Um, I, I, I think that the idea that the party that considers itself or is considered to be the more conservative party or the, the, the party that tends to espouse conservative principles uh, has endorsed somebody who was as removed from anything resembling a conservative principle as I can imagine. Um, you know, movements change and parties change, but I see nothing good coming out of this election, which at least as far as I'm concerned, and I know I'm in Newton and this is Massachusetts and Hillary Clinton's gonna carry the state. I, I know all of that. But really, she's a horrible candidate with terrible character. And, and he's a horrible candidate with a terrible character. And the one thing that I'm really looking forward to on November 8th is that at least one of these horrible people has to lose the election. <laughs> and, and I'm not voting for either one. I, I plan to, to vote for the Libertarian candidate with some misgivings, but at least he's not a horrible person. It got one brief. It, it, got, it got one <laughs> piece of a second of a clap there. Got okay. A, I mean, we we may have a candidate about whom a lot of Americans say lock her up, but Israelis actually have a former president who's we in prison. <laughs> we oh, locked him right. up. And and we may have another candidate who deserves to be, you know, in in, in behind bars of maybe you know of, of a spiritual more, bars or 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 psychiatric bars, but. <laughs> America had a president who famously said, I am not a crook. Um, Israel's managed just in the past couple of years to have both a president and a prime minister who both went to prison. Well, Israeli so, President Moshe Katsav, former Israeli President Moshe Katsav, also said, I am not a crook, but eight women said differently. Yep, <laughs> yep. Um, yep. But I think, I think that the kind of the, 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 the lack of applause here to this position, which, by the way, I completely endorse uh, and agree <laughs> with, that these are two horrible, horrible candidates. It's you guys and, uh, and Johnny how, Beard yeah. and Mustache right here in the second row. is How, how, how do you... So, this is so freaking lonely. What do you do? I mean, what these last couple of months, it's, is, have they just been bleak? Are you drinking? Like, how do you handle? Uh, well, speaking of drinking, 
I feel like I was brought here under slightly <laughs> false premises. Um, Alyssa, you said there was going to be whiskey, and I see bottles of water. So just, just, just saying. The liberal Jewish control media. They make the promises. They lie all the time. Right. They lie about the polls. They make the promises. And now they lie about the liquor. And they don't happen. So have you, are you on Twitter? Like, are you part of this, like, Twitter hate thing? Is that something that's occurred to you? Um, I'm on Twitter. Jeff underscore Jacoby, for those of you who uh, are looking for someone to follow. Um, uh, if you mean, do I, do I put out Twitter hate? No, I don't. If you mean, do I receive Twitter As hate? As a Jewish journalist who writes about politics, you know, we had that ADL yes, study all, last week. So I, I've certainly gotten my share, although nothing like what, what some people have gotten, but I've certainly got my share. Uh, you, you know, lines like, when, when, when the time is right, it's people like you who are going to be lined up against the wall and shot. And, uh, <laughs> and, the, and the tweets coming from people whose avatars have swastikas in them, or the, that creepy frog. What is it? Yeah, Pepe. Pepe, Pepe. Pepe the frog. I don't even get that. Of all things to it's symbolize... so complicated, and it's basically why the world is ruined. It's because yeah. Pe- Pepe was great, and <laughs> then the alt-right took him. He was just a cartoon frog, and then the alt-right made him into of all the things an ADL to, to labeled hate speech, <laughs> hate, hate um, symbol. So, you know, I do get, I do get my fair share. Um, I, I mean, listen, I'm a conservative at the Boston Globe, which is one of the country's most famously liberal newspapers. In fact, when I... This is, this is sort of Jewishy. My first column in February 1994, back when I was younger and thinner and, and, and my hair was darker, uh, my, the first line of my first column was, so what's a nice conservative like me doing in a newspaper like this? <laughs> uh, and, you know, it was sort of off to the races from there. So I'm used to being uh, in a minority. I'm used to marching to the beat of a different drummer. I'm used to, to getting flack. And I've always tried to live by, the, by two principles. One... Um, is that if I can dish it out, I should be able to take it. Um, and two, I try not to take offense if I don't have reason to believe that offense was intended. Mm-hmm. I know that that goes against the, the grain these days. An awful lot of people seem to look for things to be offended by. Um, I think life is a little bit easier if you, if you try not to be offended by everything. Uh, this has been a really offensive campaign for president. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of salt has been sown into our civic ground. And it's going to be you know, the ground's going to, be, going to be poisoned for a long time. I don't, I don't see any fast so, so, so this is this, this, this kind of brings me back to my question, because it's really kind of the same question, but in ever-increasing circles, right? It's like not just how you rebuild a conservative movement, but how do you, how do you make sure reinforce character, right? National character to the extent that we will never again have such an abomination getting so close to office. Right, because as we discussed before the show started, Jeff, I mean, some of the, the Christian conservatives who are most all about character, I mean, Bill Bennett, who wrote a book that actually was called The Book of Virtues, is pro-Trump. And wrote a book about the Clinton uh, impeachment, which was called The Death of Outrage, mm-hmm. right. in which he bemoaned and lamented the fact that, that so many people were making excuses for Bill Clinton's outrageous behavior. I mean, Eric Metaxas, who wrote a biography of Bonhoeffer, right, has written right. invoking about Bonhoeffer's name for why you have to vote for Trump. I agree. I, I had a column. Some, some people here it might begins, know. It so, begins, first he came from Omarosa, but I said nothing. because. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wrote last week uh, uh, about a bit of a clash that Dennis Prager and I have had. Now, I've been a Dennis Prager fan for a long time, read you know, most of his books. Uh, you guys meet at the Jewish Conservative Columnists uh, Summit. <laughs> In, uh, and it's, it's actually in Portland, Oregon, across the street from the NPR <laughs> summit every year. Um, I'll have you know, by the way, that right next door to the Boston Globe building in Dorchester is 
what now it's they're turning it into condos like everything else around here but it used to be um channel 56 nice uh, nice just, you know wlvi nice. as they used to call it back when tv stations had call letters uh, i i Dennis Prager is somebody whose who's work I admired for a long time. There's somebody who was proudly Jewish, uh, clearly conservative, thought uh, deeply about an awful lot of things, had interesting comments, and was a pr- pretty you know, sprightly writer, uh, and had made a career on his syndicated radio show and his column and his books about the importance of character and the importance of values and the importance of integrity and how you can't say all that matters is the a candidate's position on X or Y or Z. It's not just about the Supreme Court. It's not just about foreign and defense policy. It's not just about the economy. You gotta have character. The Founding Fathers all said, this, our, our democracy is only made for a people that will, that will cling to virtue and, 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 and re- regard ethics as important. And if Americans give that up, then democracy won't work anymore. And I, I've just been horrified that people like Prager or that people like Bill Bennett, who as you say, wrote a book called The Book of Virtues, are now on the Trump train. I'm, I'm a conservative politically. I have voted for far more Republicans than I have for Democrats. Although in the Massachusetts primary this year, I took a Democratic ballot and voted for Bernie Sanders. So make of that what you will. Uh, and it just, it just appalls me that there, that, that there are people who I, who I know to have good values who are putting party loyalty and partisan identification ahead of the values that they always said were really the most important. And I think both sides do it. Uh, The same kind of people who are, you know, embracing and supporting and and expressing sympathy for every one of these women who have stepped forward to, uh, to accuse Donald Trump of behaving inappropriately are the same kind of people who didn't want to hear a word about the about all the women that that accused Bill Clinton of, 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 of behaving inappropriately with. Uh, I mean, that's just hypocrisy. If, if the only place where you see wrongdoing is on the other team, and if no matter what's done on your team, you can always find a way to excuse it, then you're not being consistent. And I, you know, I, I, I think consistency I matters. I think the General Hill, Jeff Jacoby post-partisan <laughs> ticket in 2020 is gonna be amazing. Uh, you know, there is a Jew on a national ticket uh, running this year. Mindy, Mindy Hill is running. Fifth. She's the running mate of Evan McMullen, who is oh, running as an independent conservative candidate, right? So he's a Mormon. I love the Mormons, by the way. You oh, know, well, they, they do Judaism I, better than I the Jews. I just love the Mormons. If I, if I were, gonna, They've if got, I they were told on, I had to be any religion other than Jewish, I think I'd pick Mormons. They call non-Mormons Gentiles. They have a promised land. They have undergarments. I mean, they have special dietary restrictions. <laughs> no, they really are. It's like they took the Jewish template and they said, we're going to have better weather and fewer wars and, mm-hmm. and blonder daughters, and it's just going to be... <laughs> we're, we're actually Mormons in beta. <laughs> beta is when they test a wow, product. What a 21st oh, I, thought, I actually thought beta was a sorority at Duke, but <laughs> Jeff Jacoby, thank you for being our second Jew of the week. So much fun, thank you. We like to welcome back with his newly written song for the people of Hebrew College in Boston, the Jubador, Jim Nabel. It's almost over I don't need the oil 
If Donald Trump wins, we're all moving to Vancouver. <laughs> I'm gonna do some blow with Terry Gross and dance on the table with Scott Simon in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> it's almost over, said the sponsor, Jack Daniels. I need me some me time. On Schminimi, that's me, that's serious. I'm gonna run a marathon with Leo Leibowitz. I'm gonna break the rest of Mark Oppenheimer's fingers. <laughs> Give me my selfie stick. Give me my Mormon Dukakis. kiss. Make Phoebe even biglier by making him the Jew of the week. <laughs> it's my first Sim Shop Torah. I'm a Gen X Jewish pirate. I saw it all on my iPad with unlimited streams. I turned off the TV. I turned off the podcast. I turned off NPR. I turned off my dreams. I saw a vision of after the election. It was me and Hillary and all of her emails to Donald Trump saying it's almost over. <laughs> Until we meet again on Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> Liel, do you have a Mazel Tov of the Week? I do. My Mazel Tov of the Week goes to our colleague, uh, Danielle Barron of the Jewish Journal from Los Angeles, who wrote a very brave and very great piece uh, about her experience being sexually harassed and perhaps assaulted, by a very famous Israeli journalist. And uh, in doing so, uh, she not only had the courage to come forward, but raising an issue that needs to be discussed far more prevalently and far more seriously. You're here. Well, Stephanie. he doesn't get serious often, so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Stephanie, Mazel Tov of the Week. Yeah, I have a little bit of a lighter one. It's to um, <laughs> my friend Alex Brown, who listens to the podcast, and she just got married to Benjamin Weingarten, and I wanted to wish them some mazel tovs. I also want to give a mazel tov to Aunt Stacy. Aunt Stacy. She's Stacey. here. Aunt hey, Stacy and Stacey. David, they're here. She's, she's, I have a bunch of, co- I'm lucky to have a lot of cool aunts. She's one of them. Yeah, we're always hearing about another aunt of yours yeah, who's going to make it Pam. to our podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and my <laughs> mazel tov is for my old friend Kobe Labi, who plays Duvid the Cantor on Transparent. Um, there I am the other night um, eating my ice cream with, with one hand and um, watching Transparent with my wife, and I see the, the Cantor, um, and, and it's, it's Kobe, my old buddy. 
And there's just nothing like the high of seeing a friend. I mean, acting is such a hard profession to make it in, and he's been at it 10 years, and he's had some successes, but but it's there's no crueler profession than acting. And to see him um, breaking through on such an amazing show, just a big... I don't even know if Kobe Labie is Jewish, but he's playing Duvid the Cantor on Transparent. So he's playing. He's doing a serious Jew part on TV. You're very cool by association with that one. Yeah, th- that gives you. you that gives you points. Yeah, Kobe will be Duvid. a future guest on this show. I can I can pull that off. <laughs> hey, Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine, which is on the web at tabletmag.com. This week, our superb guests were Jeff Jacoby, General Tom Hill, and Admiral Jeremy Hobson. It is edited this week by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Tolushkin. We have been hosted by the resplendent Hebrew College, uh, where we would like to thank Marilyn Stern and Rabbi Or Rose for helping to bring us here. Our on-site audio has been from John Dorshuk at Terry Handley Audio. They've done an amazing job. So for all your audio needs in Greater Boston, I would suggest you check out terryhandleyaudio.com. Rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi J.P. Licks, who served me... (laughs) who served me a sweet, sweet cup of mint chocolate chip ice cream last night. The kosher slaughtering was by former Congressman Joe Walsh, not the member of the Eagles, but the former congressman, who wrote on Twitter that if Trump loses, he will, quote, pick up his musket. Joe, we're so glad that you're not a Jew. Follow Tablet on Facebook or on Twitter. We're at TabletMag. That's where you can send all of your anti-Semitic tweets. Our music is by Golem. When not at a live show, we record at the swingin' boite known as Argo Studios in New York City. Shalom, Boston. Okay, okay. Jewish Unorthodox guest Ari Nagel is arguably New York's most prolific sperm donor. Where does he hand over his goods to his grateful recipients? <laughs> cat ears, cat ears. It has to be our youngest listener. The target yeah. bathroom, that's right. <laughs> the kids are all right. <laughs>